So we've, um, we've been doing a short Advent series, um, a very short. In fact, you can't get a shorter series. We're doing two weeks of it. Um, last week, Rebecca talked about uh, the moment Mary found out she was going to, uh, she was pregnant and going to be, um, uh, oh, how do you say that politely? Producing, <laughs> that's not the right word, is it? She was with child, that's it. Um, and, uh, and so actually that's a phenomenal sermon. So if you want to go online and listen to that, I, I thoroughly recommend that. And then today I'm going to look at the moment Joseph found out that he was going, uh, that Mary was uh, with child, uh, with the son of God, and look at how he responded. The computer's not working, is it? It's a bit broken, so it's going <laughs> to catch up. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, uh, verse 18, we're going to start from. It, it might come up on the screen at some point, but uh, if not, I'll read it as eloquently as I possibly can, and I'm going to read from uh, the New Living Translation. I'm just going to get going. So, Matthew 18, it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was, en- His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became, preg- she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When when Joseph woke up, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until he was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So today we're going to look at kind of three things really. We're going to look at how Joseph found out that Mary was was pregnant and see how he responded to that. Then we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the message that the angel gave because this is all about Jesus and we want to see what we learn about Jesus through that. And then we're going to look at how Joseph found out um, that uh, she was pregnant with the Messiah and how he responded to that. So that's where we're going today. We're going to start with verse 18 and it says this, This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, I just want to explain a little bit of how the marriage system works because I think it helps us understand what was going on with Joseph in this story. See, the kind of culture around marriage was very different to our experience. If if your experience was like mine, it will go something similar to to this. You fall in, you you like someone. You see them, they think, you think, oh, they look nice. They, They, I like chatting to them. I like spending time with them. And so you ask them on a date. And then you spend some time with them and you realize they really are ama- an amazing person, like Ali. And then, 
you just, you just carry on until eventually you think, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. And so, um, and so you get engaged, don't you? Uh, you give, uh, so I gave Ali a wedding ring, not a wed- wedding ring, an engagement ring, and said, I'd like to spend the rest of my life with you. Then you go through a period called engagement. And the two advantages to this, this time is, number one, it gives you an opportunity to get ready for your wedding, so you can save up the money to do it. You can kind of come up with loads of ideas on how you want your perfect wedding to be. You can try dresses on. A- Ali, uh, <laughs> a- Ali convinced me to wear a suit in the end. Uh, and, and you can kind of get everything ready, and that's one advantage. But then it also gives you an opportunity to get ready for married life as well. And so if you come to City Hope and you're looking to get married, we would strongly advise you to do a, a marriage preparation course because it's a very different thing living as an individual to living as a couple and it's a great opportunity, this engagement period, to think about that. And then the big day comes, everyone's excited, friends and family get together, well done, well done, give them a round of applause, <laughs> techie wizardry. Um, you know, everyone's excited, the bride looks absolutely stunning and I want to do a public um, confession here. On my wedding day, I didn't tell Ali she looked beautiful. I'm very sorry. I should have. Um, but she always tells me off for it. So I thought I'll do publicly. I'll say <laughs> she's going to tell me off afterwards. You look very beautiful on your wedding day. Well done. I don't know if I'm getting in more trouble. Or less trouble. Uh, so then we celebrate. Vows are, are taken. And then you sign a, a register which makes it all very legal and proper and then you go off and have a great party. And it's, it's all a, you know, a great event. And that's a common way of it happening in our culture. With Joseph and Mary, and in that time, things were very different. It wasn't as though two people kind of fancied each other and then got together. The, the, the parents of the, the male, of the man, would go to the parents of the woman and say, could we join our families together? Could, you, could my son marry your daughter, and they'd make a deal together. And at that point, it's kind of like an informal betrothal. And then it gets formalized. So uh, a formal prenuptial agreement bet- before, uh, before witnesses at which the young man and the w- young woman enter into an official state of betrothal. So before they get married proper, they are legally betrothed. And the only way you can get out of that is by a legal process of divorce, okay? So that's how that works. Um, (coughs) And in order to kind of make sure this is a binding contract, three gifts are given. First of all, there's the bridal price. So the gift from the family of the groom to the family of the bride. And this seals the deal, okay? Uh, And then you've got another gift, which is called a dowry, which is a gift from the bride's father to the new couple, and that's just to kind of set them off on their way in their new life. And then you've got the groom's gift, which is something he gives to the bride to show his commitment to her. So when when we have an engagement ring would be an example of that. So they're the three gifts that are given. And from that moment, the couple were referred to as husband and wife. But they don't live together. They're not allowed to sleep with one another. And if anyone is sexually unfaithful with another person during that time, it's considered 
adultery. And the penalty for adultery in this time was, was, could have been death. But normally it, it kind of resulted in divorce, but sometimes people would get stoned to death for it. So, and then, so you have this state of betrothal where you're husband and wife, but you're not completely married. And then um, on the, the formal marriage ceremony takes place. And the groom gets up early in the morning, makes himself look, look amazing, and goes to the bride's house and takes her back to his house and, and her family, and they have a big party. And uh, the parents bless the, uh, the bride and the groom, and then the, the father of the bride writes a contract out to say, my daughter now belongs to the groom. And so that's how it all works, and they carry on having a, a nice party after that. So, so that's how it works. So, so Mary and Joseph, in this story, are in this betrothal period. It normally lasted about a year. So now we're going to look at how Joseph and Mary found, uh, sorry, how Joseph found out Mary was pregnant and how he responded. So verse 18 says, Mary was engaged to be mar- uh, married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to en- to break the engagement quietly. In our culture, um, adultery isn't illegal. It's a horrible thing. It breaks families. It, it breaks hearts. It's not a great thing at all. It's the saddest thing to, to hear about when it happens. But it's not illegal, which means you wouldn't get prosecuted if you had an affair with someone. But in Joseph's um, culture, things were very different. It was illegal. You were not allowed to have adultery. That's because God doesn't like it. So you weren't allowed to do it. So, so Joseph had three options. First of all, he could have had Mary stoned. Secondly, he could have entered into a public divorce. And the aim of the public divorce is to, to stop the, the, the marriage taking place but also to heap shame on the girl and on her family. And she would have been ostracized for the rest of her life if he had done that. And the other option open to him, and the one he chose, was a private divorce, which is far more discreet. You only need two or three witnesses there. Now, we're told that Joseph was a righteous man, which meant he had to do something. He, quite understandably, he assumed that Mary had had an affair. I don't know whether she tried to convince him, but you can imagine and you can understand, no, Mary, stop playing games with me. You've had an affair, and, and that's that. Okay. He, but, and so he was a righteous man. He had to do something about it, but also he was a gracious man, and he didn't want to disgrace Mary. He wanted to, her to keep her dignity. He wanted her to show compassion and grace to her. So he plans a quiet divorce. Now, we don't know much about Joseph, but I think this teaches us a lot about his character. It's such a godlike attitude that he demonstrates. See, God is a God of righteousness, perfect and holy in every way. But at the same time, wherever he can show grace, wherever he can demonstrate compassion, he will do it. Wherever he can restore dignity, 
God will do it. It says in Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or pay us according to our iniquities. As far as Joseph was aware, he had been wronged. She had committed adultery. And he was in his right to say, how dare you, Mary? He, was in the, he had a right to kind of say, I, I'm going to show you how angry I am at what you've done. But instead, Joseph looked to extend grace and compassion and do it as discreetly as he possibly could. So we've seen that in the character of God, he's, he is righteous, but he's also gracious. In the character of Joseph, we can see he's righteous and he's also gracious. And of course, you see it in Jesus. It's like father, like son. John 8, verse 1, we read the story of a woman caught in adultery. So she's been caught in the act of adultery and dragged out towards Jesus by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, want uh, they, they're just frustrated with Jesus. He's so righteous and holy, and yet he's always trying to be gracious to people and forgive people. And so they put a trap before him and they say, you're going to have to be either righteous or gracious. Which one are you going to be, Jesus? And so Jesus goes quiet. The crowd around him, this woman who has been caught in adultery, she's a sinner. And he, it says he kneels to the ground and starts writing on the floor. Maybe he's thinking up some kind of answer. I don't know what he's doing at that moment. And then he, he stands up. He says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he, he stoops back down again to the floor. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus looked at the woman and says, well, where are, are your accusers? Were they able to throw a stone at you? And she says, no. And then Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, in Jesus, we have righteousness, but we also have grace and compassion. It's such an amazing balance. So we see that in Joseph. We see it in Jesus. You're starting to see why God chose Joseph to be the one to raise his son. He's got all the kind of characteristics. So let's move on and, and ask the question, how did Joseph find out that Mary was pregnant with the Messiah, Emmanuel, and how did he respond? It says in verse 20, As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So over the last couple of weeks, it's been good to see the different character traits coming out of Mary and Joseph, and good to see why God chose this couple to, to raise the Son of God through, through, throughout his childhood. But this story is all about Jesus. It's all about how the birth of the Messiah 
took place. And so we need to spend some time looking at Jesus now. This is the first time Jesus, the name Jesus is mentioned in the gospel. And it's the first ever description we have of him. And it happens before he's even been born. I want you to think of a hero, one of your heroes. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a mum or a stepdad or a close member of your family. Maybe it's a teacher who in inspired you to do what you're doing today. Maybe it's someone a little bit further removed. Maybe it's uh, a celebrity or someone famous who has done something amazing. Just think of that person. And I'm guessing the reason you admire them is because of the things you've seen them do in their life. Maybe they've treated you in a way that has just been so, so helpful in your own personal life. Maybe the way they've taught you has really helped the way you live. Maybe just witnessing, seeing some of their achievements have just made you excited and, and kind of they inspire you because you've seen it. With Jesus, before he's even born, we learn about his destiny. We learn about the mission he is on. Even his name is packed, filled with meaning. The name Jesus, it means rescuer, means deliverer. He was going to be the one that would save the people from their sins. But before Jesus ever did a miracle, before he said a word, before he was even born, his purpose had been revealed. He was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I want to spend just a, a, a couple of moments thinking about that phrase, God with us, because it's pretty amazing. Because we read these words every, every, every uh, Christmas and we let them wash over us and, and we don't engage necessarily in them. This is saying God is with us. God. It says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the Word, Jesus, became flesh, became human, and lived among us. That's an incredible thing to consider. It says God with us. At the prayer meeting on Wednesday, Ian Geary said, came up and, and he brought a word, and he said one of the one of the uh, one of the concepts that uh, many theologians talk about is the idea that God being with us, or the word "with," is one of the most important ideas in theology. And I think there's a good there's a good argument for that. The word "with" is a very important word. You see, God is a God who has always looked to be with us. Often, if if you told a child, "Can you write a picture of God?" they would maybe draw a cloud with God in it, but actually God has always been a God who's wanted to be with his people. And so you look at Genesis and his relationship with Adam and Eve even, it said in the cool of the day they would spend time together with God, talking to God, because God was with them. If you look at the Israelites going through the wilderness, God was with them. Pillar of cloud in the day, pillar of fire by night, God was with them. Throughout the Old Testament, you see it again and again and again. God calling his people back to himself because he wants to be with them. And here we are, Jesus, God with us. 
And, and even, so, w- so we've read this, this is in uh, Matthew chapter 1, the very last chapter, in fact the very last verse of Matthew says, uh, Jesus says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And the age isn't ended yet. So Jesus is with us today, he's with us now. I was thinking this week about how, how Jesus decided to be with us. And isn't it interesting, he didn't choose to come and live in the safety and protection of a palace. He was born in a farmyard. I went to Surrey Docks Farm. I love Surrey Docks Farm. Is Alan here? He's not good. I love Surrey Docks Farm, but it does smell. (laughs) There's droppings all over the floor. I was just, my little little baby, I don't want to put her on on all the stuff the, the animals are on, all the hay and all of that. Jesus was placed in a manger. Just think about that. The Son of God was placed in a manger. He wanted to be with us. And I just felt, even as I was preparing, I just felt God say, He doesn't want to be with us when everything's going well and where everything's safe and nice. He wants to be with us in our mess. He wants to be with us when we're struggling. He wants to be with you whatever it is that's going on. That's what's been so good about this worship time, just remembering that again. God is with us. God is with you. Amen? Amen. So the last time we talked about Joseph, we'd just, he had just found out that his wife was pregnant. He was about to divorce her, and he does a wise thing. He decides to sleep on it. If you're ever going to do something drastic, it's probably good to go, go to bed and wake up first. And during the night, the angel of the Lord speaks to him and says she's got, she's got the Messiah living inside. So now the question is, what is he going to do and how is he going to respond? It says in, in, chap, uh, in verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph's name, na- and Joseph named him Jesus. So how did Joseph respond? Obediently with urgency. Obediently with urgency. What do you normally do when you wake up? Grumble, press the snooze button, shuffle downstairs and flick the kettle on? That's what I do. He woke up and went and took Mary as his wife. That's what he did because God had spoken. And I, I find that fascinating in itself. If I was Joseph, I think I would have woken up and thought, wow, that was an amazing dream. Now, let me just think about this. Okay, if I, ta- if I take, uh, you know, this Mary as my wife, then that means I've got to look after her son. <coughs> I've got to um, face the trouble that people are going to take the mick out of me and the trouble that life is going to throw at me. What's going to happen? He doesn't do any of it. He wakes up and goes and takes Mary as his wife. That's a pretty incredible thing, isn't it? You know, sometimes when God speaks to us, and you know when God, you know, there are times where you're wondering whether God's spoken to you, but there's times where God just clearly speaks. And even in those times, sometimes it goes against what we were thinking, okay? But it says in the, it says in the scriptures, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And so there'll be times where you know God's spoken, but it seems counterintuitive. 
But God would say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So we know a small amount about Joseph. But what we see is that he was a righteous man, that he was gracious, and he was an obedient man. And that's why God was pleased to choose him to raise his son. So I want to finish <laughs> by talking about two poles that we see in the character of God. It's been nice that it's been snowing because it's made me think about the, the North Pole and the South Pole. And they're, they're both opposites, but they've got equal power, haven't they? And uh, I want to talk about two, two different characteristics in God's character um, that seem opposing to each other but work perfectly in harmony. His righteousness and his grace. Or his holiness and his compassion. How can, be, how can God be righteous and perfect in all his ways and yet mess with us, mess around with us sinners? How can that work? I want to read a quote from Tim Keller. He says, A God who was only holy would not have come down to us in Jesus Christ. He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, that we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with him. A deity that was an all-accepting God of love would not have needed to come to earth either. This God of modern imagination would have only over would have just overlooked sin and evil and embraced us neither the god of moralism that's a god who is uh, just righteous and holy or the god of relativism a god who just loves you no matter what you do would have bothered with christmas but in jesus in emmanuel we find both perfect righteousness and perfect grace if you're not a Christian here today, or if you're a Christian and, and some of this stuff you've just never grasped, you just see God as holy, or you just see him as, it's all right, I can do whatever I want and I'll be fine, then you've got to grasp this. You've got to understand this. We don't believe that just because God is holy and righteous and perfect, that means we need to be in order to please him. But equally, we don't believe that just because God is compassionate and, and uh, gracious that we can do the heck whatever we want. God is righteous and he is gracious. And we find that perfectly meet, met together in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why we put our trust in him. Amen. So I just want to encourage us today to, over this Advent time, be thankful to God for his righteousness and for his mercy and grace and thank him that actually we can live in the good of that and I, that's it really that's all I got to say so we stand let's stand together and I'm just going to pray Lord I thank you for Mary and Joseph and their obedience to you their instant obedience their urgent obedience Lord we're just <laughs> we're so thankful for that and Lord God, we thank you that in, in Joseph we see a man who was full of righteousness and full of grace, Lord God. He wasn't looking to condemn. He was looking as best he could to find the grace of God in every situation. And I pray that we would be people in the same way. We would live holy and righteous lives 
Lord, that we would, we would live in ways that please you, Lord God, but we would also be people that love knowing that we are covered by the grace of God and that we can extend the grace of God to those around us. And I pray you would help us be a people that do that. Anyone here, Lord, I pray, that doesn't know you, that just sees you as an angry kind of God up there, and Lord, or just sees you as, I can do whatever I want and he'll forgive me. Lord God, I pray that you would correct their way of thinking and they'll do it by seeing the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.